Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Jesus, thank you so much for being the light of the world, the Lamb slain before the foundations of this world, for the salvation of many. Thank you for the hope that we have in our souls and the life that we have within us because of your mercy and your grace. You have accomplished our salvation. You have demonstrated your tender mercy and grace to us. You have filled our life with hope, and you are our guide and our Lord and our God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You reign on the throne forever. We worship you. I pray this morning as we open the Word of God that you would lead this time and you would lead our hearts. I pray that you you would lead us to surrender our souls to you and to worship you from our hearts in all that we do, that our lives would be a life of worship that brings you glory, that brings you honor, that magnifies you here on this earth. We love you and thank you for being God. Thank you for allowing us to be your people. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'd like to invite you to open to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Before I get started, I'd like to um, just let you know that um, Adam, Pastor Adam is in in Zambia with his family as well as um, a number of others, the Skipworth family and uh, um, a couple others. So we just want to pray for them and just pray, please pray for that God will bless their ministry. They're on the ground there. They're beginning their ministry. I've heard good things so far. Pastor Adam and his family's been there for um, a week or so now and, and are doing some great things. He's been meeting with pastors. He got to preach this morning and uh, God's done some done some great work already, so please keep them in mind, keep them in prayer, so we can be on mission with them by being in prayer for them from right here. So also, I'd like to let you know that um, Joe and Megan Fry and their family are back in town. They have been at the International Learning Center for about eight weeks, and uh, they've been learning and studying and preparing, and uh, in a few weeks, they'll be headed out to Guatemala with their family, moving down there. We're supporting them. We are sending them. Uh, the Lord is sending them through us, and uh, so I want to invite you guys, if you see them around, just give them a hug, let them know you're praying for them, and please don't forget, they need all our support, so um, and please either give or pray or go with them, and uh, just see how you can support how God would have you 
um, help them do the work they're going to be doing in Guatemala. So look for them around after the service today and uh, be an encouragement to them when you see them. So Luke chapter 1, uh, we'll start in verse 67. And before I read that, I'd like to read to you a verse from Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1. The prophet Isaiah said, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. This Christmas season, uh, I think we always come to the season, it's very busy, always involved in trying to figure out what we're going to do with our families and what kind of presents we're going to give and how many Christmas cards we're going to send and, and uh, all kinds of crazy things that happen around Christmas season. Sometimes this season can be very difficult for a lot of people um, because of various reasons, just life, life is difficult and uh, this is a great season to stop everything and just rejoice in what God's done for us. Um, but it's also, some, for some people, it's a reminder of things that they've lost. And so what I'd like to do this morning is just be an encouragement to you and remind you of the light of Jesus Christ and, it's, and remind us to ascribe worth to the one who's worthy of the worth um, and worthy of the glory that he should be receiving. So great, one great thing about the uh, Christmas story, when you read through it in the New Testament, you read in Matthew and you read in Luke, you read a little in John and you kind of read through all the birth story of Jesus Christ and you begin to see how people respond to the story of Jesus Christ. And you look through, you look through scripture and you, you see people respond to the coming of Jesus not always in good ways. You see some people responding in very bad ways. You can back all the way up into the Old Testament from some of the first times you hear prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. You had people that believed in the prophecies of the coming Messiah. You had people that completely didn't believe in it. And you had people that fought against it. Um, people that believed the Messiah was going to be something completely different. And then here Jesus is born and you have all the people responding in this scenario. And, and then later on in scripture you have people that when they heard about Jesus, they did terrible things. They chose to do horrible things, and there were people that when they heard about Jesus, they did wonderful things, and they responded in faith. And uh, you look through Scripture, and you see people like Mary. She sang a song and pondered in her heart what she'd seen and heard. And Zacharias, here in Luke chapter 1, he prophesied and praised God. And shepherds, they made known the statement about the birth of Jesus. And Magi, they came to Jesus and gave gifts, expressing what they believed about Jesus. And John, he he's described in John chapter 1 and 2 as, as wanting to decrease so Jesus could increase and point other people to Jesus. And, and Joseph trusted and obeyed. And Anna, when she, when she heard about Christ, she gave thanks and she continued to speak to anybody who was looking for redemption. And the angels, they sang glory to God in the highest. And, and all these people responding to Jesus in so many great ways. But you also have people in Scripture like King Herod who responded to the birth of Jesus by murdering hundreds of babies because he wanted to kill Jesus. And so there were many people who responded to Jesus. Everybody responds to Jesus. Many people respond differently to Jesus. But one thing I'd like to focus on today is how Zacharias responded to his knowledge of the coming of Jesus Christ and what God said through Zacharias and uh, how we should respond to Jesus this Christmas. So in Luke chapter 1, Verse 67, Zacharias is, um, is speaking about John the Baptist, John, John being born, and, and his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. 
as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Now, this is a prophecy from Zacharias. And the great thing about prophecies is that these are, one thing you just have to remember is that these are the words of the Lord, not necessarily Zacharias. Although these were in the heart of Zacharias, this is something that Zacharias was overjoyed to be able to reveal because this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the story of Jesus Christ, but these are the words of God being spoken to the people. Now, this is right here about the time that Jesus is born. But it's not necessarily only about the birth of Jesus Christ. He's speaking about the fulfillment of everything Jesus came to do. He, came, he was born, he lived, he served, he demonstrated the glory of God, he died on the cross for payment for our sins, he rose from the dead to give us life, and he ascended. And this is what he's talking about. All of the life of Jesus accomplished this, and this is what he's, God is saying through Zacharias. And he starts with the word, blessed. Now this is, you have to remember, this is God saying, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He's looking at all of us saying, you need to bless the Lord God of Israel. That word blessed means to ascribe worth to something. He's saying, I am the one that is worthy of all glory and honor in this particular situation. He's saying, I am worthy because I am the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. So God is saying, ascribe glory to him for all that he's done. So as we approach Christmas season and we attempt to figure out what it is that we're going to do for Christmas and how we're going to spend the season, we get really busy. A lot of things are happening. It's easy to miss the point. And of course, there's more Hallmark movies that have been made than you ever want to watch about Christmas. And uh, there's more, uh, there's more books that have been written about Christmas, more concepts and philosophies and ideas of what this means. And and a lot of it's tradition, a lot of it um, didn't really have roots in Scripture, but we've learned to kind of ascribe biblical meaning to it to some degree or try to give it some worth. But it's a time of year that we've kind of all agreed upon to stop what we're doing and say, hey, let's celebrate this season, this time when Jesus Christ was born. And so what I'd like to do this morning is just kind of ask you, you know, what are we ascribing worth to? What are we telling people that is worthy of our praise? What are we showing people that is worthy? What are we communicating? And one thing that I'd like you to do is just see that we want to praise God this Christmas. We want to praise God for his accomplished redemption. Honestly, I think this, this goes way beyond Christmas. This should be a lifestyle, something that we live all year long. We need to praise God for his accomplished redemption. He said, blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. That word accomplished is past tense. That's something that God is looking ahead and he's saying, I have accomplished this. I have finished this work. Redemption is here. I have saved my people. I have come to accomplish the salvation of the people that I love. And he's saying, I am doing this and I am redeeming you. Now, one scripture that I'd like you to, to take notice of this, this morning is Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. It's a very familiar passage of scripture. We all know it. It says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on 
and forevermore. It's a great passage of Scripture because it focuses on so many wonderful things about God. It calls Jesus a wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal Father, the Prince of Peace. It's a great season of year to stop and focus on what those names mean. But the phrase that really gets me about this passage of Scripture that I really love is the last phrase in verse 7. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This was written hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus Christ, and he speaks about the zeal of the Lord, a a resolve and a determination from God to redeem his people. This was no accident. This was not something God was hoping, hoping would happen in his creation. This was not an effort to redeem his creation. This was an act. This was a determined will of God that he, he stepped into this creation and became man and took on flesh and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death because he was zealous for the salvation of his people. Now the word zeal is something that you kind of look at and you wonder what does the word zeal mean? And I think when you look at Jesus, one of his first appearances in the New Testament uh, as he began his ministry was when he stepped into the temple and he saw people trying to approach the throne of God and trying to worship the Lord, but they were hindered from their worship because of all the false things that were taking place in the temple and the zeal of the Lord because the, it, it even uses the word zeal in that story. Jesus was zealous for the worship of his people and he stepped in there and he overturned the tables and he took the, the whip and he drove the animals out of the temple and you see, you see the passion and the zeal of God loving and desiring the worship of his people. And so here in the birth of Jesus Christ, we see God saying, I am zealous for the redemption of my people. I do not desire that any should perish. I desire that all should come to repentance. He, God desires to see that we are saved from our sins and rescued from the darkness that we have to live in in this world. And he's so zealous about it that he took on flesh, became a man, and he died for us. And he took on our sins so that he could give us his righteousness. He took on our darkness so that we could know his light. That's zeal. The zeal of the Lord determined to accomplish the salvation for us. There's hope in that because, you know, one of the scariest things for me is the future. It's the part of my life I don't know about. The part that's coming, what's going to happen tomorrow or the days to come, that's, that's what strikes fear in most of us. But one great thing about God accomplishing redemption is that it is accomplished. God has accomplished redemption for my future as well as for today. I am redeemed. That gives meaning to the peace that passes all understanding. The prince of peace. Now we understand what true peace is really like. Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. This is when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. So then the angel appears to Joseph. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He told her to call his name Jesus. Now, the word Jesus is a Greek translation of a Hebrew word, uh, Yeshua or Joshua, which is the word, a word that means Yahweh 
is salvation, or Yahweh saves. It means that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who created this world, is salvation. And here is this birth of this boy, and his name alone means Yahweh is our salvation. This is the accomplishment of God redeeming his people. Now, one other phrase that I want you guys to notice from this passage is this. He says in verse 6 day, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. He uses the phrase horn of salvation and then he refers to him as coming up in the house of David. This is a reference to Jesus Christ being born in the house and the line of the kings. This is going to be the king of all kings, the king who will reign forever. This is a reference to Jesus Christ, but it calls him the horn of salvation. Now that phrase sometimes can be a little elusive. It's hard to understand what that means sometimes. When you go back through scripture and you read when that phrase was used and what it means to be a horn of salvation, there are a couple of different uses for that throughout the history of these people. Um, One of those uses was kind of a battlefield terminology. Um, During the course of a battle when things were raging and the, the armies were in the midst of the battle, it could take hours, it could take days, and people would be dying on the battlefield. At some points, hope would begin to be lost. But then as reinforcements arrive, when they come over the hill or come around the bend, the The commander of the army orders the sounding of a horn of salvation, which announces salvation and strength and hope, and it gives everybody in the midst of the darkness of that battle hope and strength, and it announces usually a victory to that battle. And so here is an announcement of the victory, the accomplishment of the salvation and the redemption of a people who have been groaning in this dark world for centuries. Here is the sounding of a trumpet, the sounding of a horn of salvation. It's a symbol of strength. It's a symbol of victory, but it was also used on the horns. It was uh, the phrase horns of the altar in the Old Testament where people would fall on the horns of the altar seeking mercy from God. And here is Jesus whom we fall upon to seek the mercy of God. So he is the horn of salvation. He has accomplished our redemption. It also reminds me of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. It says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We do look forward to Another sounding of a trumpet that announces victory that will remove, that will take us to be with the Lord for all of eternity. So we need to praise God for his accomplished redemption in our lives. Another thing that I think is great for us to praise the Lord for is for God's tender mercy and grace. Take notice of verse 71. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers And to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father. Now look at verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. This is the tender mercy of God taking on flesh and coming to accomplish redemption for us. Now mercy is more about what we don't get than what we do get. 
The fact that God came to this earth was not necessarily a super glorious thing for God to do. He was born in a manger. There was a lot of turmoil surrounding that situation. He was, he humbled himself. He was sacrificed on a cross. He bled and he suffered and he died. But he did this to show us the tender mercy of God. He is the sovereign God. He is the creator of the universe. He is the one that commands what is right and what is wrong. But he is also tender and he comes close to us. And the mercy of God is one that would come to us and trade our sin for his righteousness. So that we would not have to pay the price for our sins. But that we could actually receive the reward of a righteous life that we did not earn. That's mercy. But then there's grace involved. Look at verse 74. To grant us. Grant is a gift. It's something God gives. It's grace. It's something that we didn't earn. Something that we don't deserve. To grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Look at verse 77. To give his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. These are the gifts that we can't give. These aren't the kind of gifts we give to people at Christmas time. These aren't the kind of gifts we could give ourselves or anybody else. It's not something we could work for. It's not something we can earn. We can't do enough good deeds to earn these things. We can't do enough good religion to earn these things. These are things that only Christ can give. They can only be accomplished through the birth, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Notice some of those things that he mentions. To serve him without fear. That is a gift from the Lord that we can rejoice in. We rejoice in a lot of gifts at Christmas time. It's really easy to rejoice in the material possessions because we can see them, we can feel them, we can touch them. It's really easy to rejoice in our children, to rejoice in our homes, to rejoice in our families and our extended families and to make Christmas all about the stuff that we can taste, feel, feel, see, and touch. All that stuff is really easy to rejoice in and we should be grateful for all of that. God's given them to us as blessings and we should use them for the glory of the Lord, but these are the gifts. Without these, all of that other stuff would be hopeless. Even our families, as valuable as they are, we would be hopeless without these gifts. These are the gifts we praise the Lord for. We praise the Lord because we can serve him without fear, because he has given us holiness and righteousness before God all of our days. We can live all of our days standing before God in holiness and righteousness. What a blessing. So many days, I, I know my sin. I, I feel like David sometimes. I, I'm a sinner and my sin is ever before me. It's always in front of me. I can see it. And I'm ashamed of it. And sometimes I'm tempted to feel very guilty and beaten down by it rather than to just confess it and repent it and turn away from it. But what God says to me is that having been, my redemption has been accomplished by Jesus Christ and I have been blessed and given holiness and righteousness before God all of my days. Therefore, I can come boldly and confidently before his throne any day of the year. What a blessing. And he says, in verse 77, we will have the knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of our sins. Those are gifts from God. God blesses us with the knowledge of salvation through the, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the birth of Jesus Christ, and through the hands and feet of all those people who go and share it and give it to us. Somebody told you about Jesus Christ one day, and that's why you're a Christian. Somebody shared the gospel with you, and you were blessed with that's a gift that that you didn't just go out and get. God made a way 
for you to have that. And he made a way for you to know forgiveness when we don't deserve forgiveness. What a blessing. What rich gifts. So we praise God for his accomplished redemption. We praise God for his tender mercy and his grace. Notice, notice Matthew chapter 1 verse 22. It says, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Behold, the, Lord, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear his son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. That's the tender mercy and grace of God. That God would be incarnate, would become flesh, so that he could walk with us through this life. What a blessing that we have. And then we praise God for his guiding light. We praise God for his guiding light. Notice verse 78 in Luke chapter 1. It says, Because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. He uses several words there that I think are really amazing. He uses the word shine, which means to illuminate. And he uses the word guide, which means to kind of direct and to show us the way. And he he talks about the way of peace. He doesn't just say he wants to give us peace, but he wants to lead us in the way of peace. You know, what's really interesting about darkness is that um, there's something inherent about darkness. We're all kind of born for some reason with this fear of the dark. My children are all pretty young, and you know, it's, we try our best not to watch too many really scary things with our kids, you know, and put scary thoughts in their minds, but you know, there's something about darkness that just seems to be born into them that there's a mystery there they don't understand, and it causes them to ask questions. You know, when the lights are on, and my kids are in their room, and they're going to bed at night, or are just all during the day. They know where everything is. They know where all the toys are. They tossed up under the bed. They know where the extra socks are that we can't find and all that other kind of stuff. But when you turn the lights off, all of a sudden, they don't know what's happening. And there's a fear there. And they like their nightlight. Or they like the crack in the door so the light can shine through. So when they open their eyes at any point in the night, they can see the light. There's something about the light. I, I think maybe God's built us to love the light. And there is definitely something mysterious about the darkness that strikes fear in all of us. The Lord says that we've, we've come from darkness. We live in darkness because of sin. Most of the world lives in darkness and they're terrified. But the Lord is called the shining light, the sunrise from on high who has come to visit us. And Jesus Christ is mentioned multiple times in the New Testament as the light of the world. He is the one who shines on those who live in the darkness, and he guides our feet and lights our way. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Notice this. This is what he says. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. That's, by the way, one of the longest sentences in the Bible. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, 
And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now notice that that word that they give Jesus he is Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one of God to be our salvation, to be our accomplished salvation, to demonstrate the tender mercy of God, but he is Lord. He came to be the Lord, to not just give us peace, but to lead us in peace. We need to remember that there is no end to the increase of his government or of peace. He is the king of all kings who reigns on the throne for all time, and that means if he is the king, we are his subjects. He rules, we serve. He leads, we follow. It's lordship. This is the salvation. It, it does not, it's built into the birth, death, life, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't, we aren't just saved by God. We're saved by God to follow God. And he's, and what's great about being freed by Christ, freed from our sins, saved and that salvation being accomplished in us, we're freed from our sins, not to do whatever we want, but we're now free to see what is right and follow in what is right, to follow in the way of peace, to live in the way of peace, to walk in the way of peace, to walk with the Prince of Peace in this life. What a blessing that we're not just commanded to go and obey, but he walks with us and leads us through that. Isaiah chapter 59 says this. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. It starts out a little scary, but then it gets really awesome. But I think this is really, it, this describes the 21st century America. Nothing has changed. Notice this. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor his ear so dull that it cannot hear. I like that phrase. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So God is the light, the sunrise from on high, but because of sin, we live in this darkness in the world, and there's a separation between us and between God, and there, there is no way for us to walk in the light. There's no way for us to have hope because of the separation caused by sin. Look at verse 9. It says, Therefore justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for the light, but behold, darkness. For brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope along the wall like blind men. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday as in the twilight. Among those who are vigorous, we are like dead men. All of us growl like bears, and moan sadly like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. So you see the need for a savior. You see the need for a guide. You see the need for light. And that's exactly what we see in our culture. So many people living and walking in darkness, groping around in the darkness, trying to find hope, 
joining causes, reading books, joining false religions, an effort to try to find some form of light. But God says all they're doing is groping around in the darkness, hoping to find light, but they can't find it. It's depressing and it's a little sad. But here's where it gets pretty awesome. You look at verse 15 in that same chapter. It says, Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in his sight that there was no justice. You hear people saying that all the time now. And he saw that there was no man. Now the word man is a reference to an intercessor. Somebody to speak on behalf of the people. A savior, a mediator, somebody to stand. Here's the people living in sin before a holy God who is the light. They cannot fellowship any longer. The relationship is broken because of sin. There's a need for a mediator, somebody to stand between, to make peace between the two warring parties. And so here's the need. God looked and he saw that there was no man. He he was astonished that there was no one to intercede. This is where it's really awesome. Then his own arm brought salvation. Then his own, he said, there's no one. No one's worthy enough. No one's good enough. I have looked ahead at the entire course of all time. There is no president of the United States, no leader of any cause, no person, no people group, no religion that is going to be light and salvation for humanity. So I will bring salvation by my own arm. And this is really great, he says, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing. And he wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. There's that word zeal again. A redeemer will come to Zion. Verse 20, a redeemer will come to Zion. There's redemption. And those who turn from the transgressions in Jacob, that's repentance, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit which is upon you and my words which I've put in your mouth. That's the the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the light of Jesus Christ. It's the birth of Jesus Christ. The coming of a Savior. The salvation that I've given to you is in you. It will not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your offspring, nor from the mouth of your offspring's offspring, says the Lord, both now and forever. From now and forever. This is the salvation that God's given to us. And then he says in chapter 60, verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. So we praise God because he's accomplished our redemption. We praise God because of his tender mercy and grace. We praise God because he is our guiding light. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the birth of Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is really all about. And my question to you is, how will you respond to the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Everybody responds, but not everybody responds well. Many people are still living in the darkness, but there's hope. This is our hope. This is your hope. If you're still living in darkness, this is your hope. The Lord Jesus came to save your soul, to redeem you, to accomplish your redemption. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I know many of you have faith and you've given your life to Jesus Christ and you are celebrating the fact that this is your testimony. 
And I want to encourage you to look for ways before your children and before your coworkers, before everybody around you, everybody in your social network, to praise the Lord for his accomplished redemption in your life, to praise the Lord for his tender and mercy grace in you and where you've seen that, where you've seen God demonstrate that for you personally. Praise God for his guiding light in the way that he leads you through this life. This is the life that rises and shines the light of the glory of God. If you would stand with me as we pray. God, thank you for the work that you've done. Thank you for accomplishing our salvation. Thank you for thank you for giving us your tender mercy. Thank you for being our light and our Lord. I pray that you would lead in the hearts of your people this morning, and I pray that all of us, we would worship you for that. And if there's someone who's lost and they're living in darkness, I pray they would cry out to you for salvation. They would cry out to you for your light and your life. Love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And this time, you're welcome to come to the altar and pray or stand right where you are and just seek the face of the Lord. I'd just like to encourage you to take a minute. If you need to close your eyes and just ignore the people around you and, and just think about what the Lord Jesus has done for you and just pray, praise him, glorify him from your heart this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.